this upcoming week has got a couple of pretty important dates in it, and we should be paying attention. Next on Principles and Policies. Welcome to today's edition of Principles and Policies. I'm your host, Barry Sheets, the Executive Director of the Institute for Principal Policy. And along with me today is my co-host, Vice Chairman of the Institute, my fellow analyst and very good friend, Chuck Michaelis. Hey, it's great to be back with you, Barry, again. Uh, this Wow, th- what is this, like three weeks in a row where we've actually done a live show instead of a instead of a uh, uh, archiver? Probably so, three, maybe four. I don't know. So, I've, I'll, now, just so you folks know, I've been promising to update the website Guess what? You still haven't done it yet. I have. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay. It's up to date through the first of the year. And in Excellent. fact, further back than that, I think it's up to date, oh gosh, up till the end of last year. Okay, great. So, um, yeah, all our archive shows are up. So all the times you hear on here, go to the website and take a look. Here's what I'll tell you. Go to the website and take a look. Oh, you can listen to all of them. The website's got some issues. It's getting long in the tooth. Some of the uh, uh, platforms I'm running on are now uh, officially decrepit. So, for instance, our share this uh, stuff doesn't work anymore, and I tried to update it, and it won't let me, which means... Oh. <laughs> which which mean, means a rebuild. Uh, yeah, it's time to rebuild. Um, but nonetheless, www.principledpolicy.com. That's principledpolicy.com. You can go there. Uh, um, if you want to share it, just copy the URL and put it on Facebook directly. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, and uh, we'll be doing the same till I can figure out a rebuild. We'll it'll have a new front. It won't be this look the same as it has since like two thousand and. I don't know nine or ten. I was going to say it's been a while. <laughs> yes, we, we've uh, so, we've actually been doing this radio show a lot longer than I absolutely can remember. Um, at least what seven, eight years now. At least. Oh yeah. my goodness! I I tell you what, I can go back in the archives and look because they're all up, all of them, well, every single one. In fact, the first, shall we say, amateurish. Uh, the, the first few where we all sound like we're like uh, we all sound like we're we're reading from a script because it's kind of wooden and 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 once we got used to the microphone, Barry's had a lot more experience at radio than I have. Um, but once we got used to the microphone and and you forget the fact that there are however many listening, it doesn't matter anymore. You don't care it. It uh, um, it's like public speaking. Once you've once you've done it in front of five hundred people, it's, it's sort of like, okay, I didn't die. They didn't pelt me with rocks. Uh, some well, that's them, the beautiful thing about radio is they can't, they can't really pelt you pelt with, pelt rocks. with rocks. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and uh, um, you know, I had a few. Sca- I've had scowls in the audience, and you know what? Sometimes I look at the people that are doing it, and if I know who they are and I don't like them, it's sort of like. Good, you didn't like it. <laughs> I must have done something right. Well, uh, you you know I've had a little bit of public speaking experience. Matter of fact, you were at one of those engagements uh, that I because I I knew I was going into hostile territory and I invited you to come along right. that was just the, so I'd have a friendly face in the crowd. Was that the one in the OSU dorm? That was in the that was at the that was on the campus of Ohio State. Well, there was another one at Bowling Green. <laughs> yes, there was. That uh, <laughs> shall we say the? But what was interesting to watch? was to watch Barry work the room because I saw they didn't come over. Well, no. But what they did was Barry made them think about their positions. Yeah, that's a dangerous thing when you've got somebody who's a zealot is to get them to think about their positions. And the same thing happened at Bowling Green. Uh, 
This is, gosh, way back during Those the homosexual what? marriage debate. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, um, so basically, I mean, yeah, we're, I'm, 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 I'm one of these guys who likes reliving his past, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but no, we uh, that was back during the 2004. That was during the marriage amendment issue and all the fights around that. And then I believe that the Bowling Green thing was around the... Um, there was a creation and evolution debate the, with the state board of education and whether what they were going to put in for science standards. That might be right. It's yeah, it was somewhere a thousand years ago. Yes. I took notes on that presentation, <laughs> um, and uh, uh, my hope was to write it up. And being being a businessman, uh, I had other things to do. So. Well, yeah, it's, it's, I get that. So, and I also took those notes so that Barry would have something to fall back on. Uh, when you know, because I I tried to note the impact of things that were said, and I I was sitting in the audience, so I could. Um, crowd dynamics is interesting. You can feel a change in the in the room. Yes, I, I don't know how else to explain it other than you can you can feel it. You can see people's faces that uh, uh, faces like flint. If you will, that's right. And suddenly the stone melts away, and it's, it's what I call the light bulb moment. Yes, when the light bulb goes off, and you realize that the gears inside the the, the machinery have started to, to mesh, and they're starting to work again, and they're starting to process, yeah, what they should be processing, and it's very interesting. It's it's fun. Now, you when you when we taught at Camp American. It was always great when you basically had a room full of teenagers um, who you were basically, in the mornings, you were trying to teach them the uh, elements of uh, constitutional government and what the Constitution says and what it doesn't say. Not exactly what you would call high-stimulating. It's not, as, not nearly as stimulating as Saturday morning cartoons. We but made it as fun as we could get it. As fun as we could possibly make it. Yeah, but... But it was... Even then, watching those light bulb moments, watching those times when somebody put the disparate pieces together in their own head and started seeing the picture, and that's and, and you're right, and that happened, and, and of course, like you said, you don't necessarily bring anybody over to your side, but that's honestly, Chuck, that's never been my purpose with doing these type of public debates. I'm not so much trying to get you over to my side. I'm trying to get you to fully be cognizant of where you are coming from yourself, what your presuppositions are, and what they logically lead to as conclusions. Because the vast majority of the time, and we all have worldview, Chuck. Everybody has a worldview, whether it's a Christian worldview, whether it's a pagan worldview, whether it's an animistic worldview, whatever it might Everybody's be. Everybody's got one. Everybody's got a worldview. Everybody has presuppositions. You can't you can't avoid it. We all come from some basis of what we what we use for decision making. And if your basis is what makes you feel good and, and what you're comfortable with and what you're happy with, you're the basis for the decision making. If your decision making is based upon what you think somebody else is going to feel about you, then they are the foundation of your decision making, whether it be your boss, your spouse, uh, people in your peer group. Uh, some celebrity you look at, whatever it might be. But then there's the biblical Christian worldview where you presuppose God is who he says he is, and he says he's the Lord, sovereign, creator, master of your life. Nothing escapes his attention. All things work together through him. 
and he superintends over all things actively all the time. If you have that presupposition for when you base your view, formulate your worldview, usually the logical outcomes of your thinking processes lead to giving God greater glory, advancing his kingdom purposes, heading toward righteousness, heading toward holiness, moving toward wholeness. Everything else, you move toward dissipation, you move toward entropy, you move toward dissolution, you move toward chaos. My question to most people is, well, which way do you want to go? Do you want to go into chaos or do you want to go into wholeness? Do you want order or do you want chaos? Order or disorder. That's now, because those are your only really two options. Be, it's great you bring that up because what are we dealing with in the country? Uh, there are a number of things that we're dealing with in this but country. think about it. We've moved steadily from order to chaos. Now, do, do I mean order in which uh, um, a tyrant puts his boot on your neck and you are forced to do something at threat of uh, being thrust through or shot. That's not order. That's, that's chaos as well. That's chaos as well. That's not order. No. That is an artificial order. Real order is when people comport with a standard, a higher standard than they of are. behavior. That is higher than they that are. That is higher than they are. Because it's... I, I, let's just put it this way, folks. Anybody who goes into a marriage a family, a business, an educational setting, or anything else, and basically says it's my way or the highway, and that the buck stops here, and that the world revolves around me, i.e. you have a self-centered worldview, does that lead to order or does that lead to chaos? That absolutely leads to chaos. It, it, it incredibly leads to chaos. But if you come in saying, in all of those circumstances, I believe in a or, something higher than myself, and in our circumstance, that would be God, the God of the universe. Right. And that his rules and laws apply. And that all I'm here to do is to faithfully render what he's told me to do, whether that be being a church leader, being a husband and father, being a community leader, being or being just a servant who just does things because you know it pleases God to do them. All that leads to order, because God is a God of order. God is a God uh, who does things decently and in order, as we Presbyterians like to say. Um, and you can only have cohesion. Long And I'm talking, when I'm saying cohesion, sorry, because everybody can say, well, we can keep the peace for a while. Well, no, you can't keep the peace. You can't keep anything. Let's just put it... Uh, I, when people start getting their heads around the idea that we can't control anything, not even ourselves, I mean... Think about uh, it. Self-control is probably the first thing that goes out the window in chaos. Think but, about it in terms of a pressure cooker. Yes, absolutely. What is there on a pressure cooker that keeps the whole thing... There's a control valve. Yeah, there's a, there's a valve on top, a weighted valve, that uh, is supposed to, when it reaches a certain temperature... Yeah release some of the pressure so the thing yeah. doesn't split apart at the seams. And and, be, and why is that? Because while a pot boils at this elevation at around 213 or so degrees, right. you put that pressure on, you put the pressure lid on, and it you can get the temperature up to 250, you 255. You start superheating it, yeah. You superheat the steam. Well, what happens when the, uh, you have to have a controlled release of that steam or what do you have? You have a the worst chaotic explosion you can imagine. 
a pressure cooker blowing up can can blow your kitchen apart, can kill you. Oh yes, uh, very or, easily. Or burn you to death, essentially, mm-hmm. or make you wish you were dead. That's what you're talking about. That's it. Now that doesn't mean that we're anti-pressure cookers. What right. we're basically saying is, don't ever try to use a pressure cooker without having an external governor. Yes. So basically, what we're saying you is, you have to have a control. Don't device. have a societal pressure cooker without having some external device which governs how things work. And in a Christian worldview, that's God. God is the external and internal, by the way, because he lives within us, you know, in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. But he's also that external governor because we are supposed to conform ourselves to the image of God. We are supposed to comport ourselves with God's grace and mercy and love and care. And we are supposed to engage in the manner in which he told us to engage. You know, I've just been, the last couple of weeks, our pastor's been down with a, um, a deteriorating hip socket that he's had to have a hip replacement. Just had it yesterday. And matter of fact, I got a text from him this morning. He's getting, he got released from the hospital this morning. So it went really, really well. He's out of pain. But for the last two or three weeks, I've had to take the helm at our church. And we've been going through Matthew 6 and 7. Uh, same thing we're doing, by the way. Just so now you you're know. the third person who's now told me that you've been doing that particular <laughs> set of verses. Yeah. So there's something up, Chuck. I'm starting to get a weird feeling because I just picked these. You know, I started looking through the script and I thought, you know what? I need to talk on this. I need to talk on how Christ looks at us. Yeah. And how versus how we look at ourselves because that's my that's my whole thinking with the couple of weeks i've been doing this and, and i probably will have to do it this coming week because he probably won't be in a, up and around if, enough if he's just had his just had it so five days he probably won't be up and around i would enough. guess not so i'm guessing i'm gonna have to run again and go into the second half of matthew 7 or into matthew 8 but looking at that about how christ looks at us and i'm just going to be quite honest with you folks it's not flattering. If you are really diving into Matt, especially Matthew 6 and 7, it doesn't paint a very flattering picture of who we are without Christ. Matter of fact, words like um, that we're, the, the implication that we were wasters, because there's, I think it's 7.14, that you give what is holy unto dogs and you cast your pearls before swine. We just did pearls before swine, yes. You take what is holy and give it unto dogs. Yep. You cast your pearls before swine. That means we've been given things that are holy and things that are valuable, and we're throwing them away. We're a waster. He didn't. But in Matthew seven, he didn't just talk about that too. He talked about how and ye who are evil still know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more so your Father who is in heaven who gives things to you? Yep. So he talked about the goodness of God as opposed to our self-conceptualization of what's good. And he summed it up in five words. And ye who are evil. This is coming from Christ. Right. And he wasn't talking to the Sadducees and the Pharisees in Matthew 7. He's talking to the disciples. Yeah, it's the Sermon on the Mount. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Not just the disciples. Well, he was talking to a few people, but he was was aiming at his disciples. Yep. Because in Matthew 6, he's really aiming at his disciples. Yep. And he's basically telling them, you've got me, I'm doing this for you. Then he goes into this whole thing about, well, you know, this is where you guys really are. 
without without Christ, our ideas of a higher order of righteousness and right and morality are chaotic and evil at best. Uh-huh. So why do we think it's any different when our why do we why do we sit there and wring our hands, Chuck, and pull our hair and grit our teeth and moan and groan when we see what's happening in this culture? Because this is a culture that is rejecting Christ. They're rejecting those things that are holy. They're re, they 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 are trampling underfoot those pearls that Christ has given us. Because remember, part of the second part of that verse about don't cast your don't give what is holy to dogs, don't cast your pearls for swine was, lest they trample it underfoot but, and turn and rend you, yes, and tear you apart. Folks, we're at that point. We're there. We're there. Yeah, that's what's happening, what? and it's because we live in a world of chaos right now, where the things of God, the example of Christ, and the perfect standard of God's word are laughed at. But the biggest problem is it isn't that they're laughed at in the pagan culture. We can expect that. It's that they're laughed at in the vast majority of those places that like to call themselves churches. And point number one is something that's in the media right now with a shall we say inheritor of a legacy who obviously didn't want was like the prodigal son and who didn't want to have anything just they wanted the trappings of it and go off and do their own thing and i'm talking about jerry falwell junior and lynchburg university yep. and thomas road baptist church i've uh, been in the press a lot these days chuck and why because it's come to find out that well maybe good mr falwell was at the very least being a hypocrite, if not out and out setting his own self-law and saying, God's standard applies to all you, i.e. the students of the school, etc., the people in his church, but it doesn't apply to me, and I get to live life the way I want to. You know, And I'm not going to go into any of the salacious details, okay? But let's just say... There's enough here for a Harlequin romance novel and a Lifetime movie of the week. And probably we'll see movies coming out of this because it's a great way to try to besmirch the name of Christ by using the selfish engagements of a person who believed that they were their own rule and the chaos that it's creating. See, I haven't paid that close attention to this story other than I, I saw a picture of, I saw a photograph. That's all I saw. Okay, well, that was, that was the tip of the iceberg. The photograph where he's holding a beverage in his hand that's probably not cola, i.e. breaking one of the rules of the university's code of ethics and conduct, standing beside a young lady who is not part of his family in a state of undress or partial undress, Raised some questions. Then the announcement of a book that was being published by a young man in Miami, Florida, who made some claims that we're now seeing he's backing up with text messages, emails, and phone messages of a fairly lengthy, shall we say, indiscretion with 
Jerry Falwell Jr.'s wife that Falwell may have actually not just known about, but encouraged, but encouraged and possibly participated in. Okay. So he's been suspended pretty much permanently. He's no longer the chancellor of, Reg- of Liberty University. Um, re, you know, Regent School, all over there. There's no regionism part of theirs, is it? No. Liberty. It's just Liberty. And uh, the top, yeah, Regent, and, oh, Regent Law School is part of theirs. Is, so, yeah. is the Liberty University, University Law, Law School. School. That's right. Yeah. So Regent Law and Thomas Road Baptist Church. And the hits just keep coming with this, Chuck. Uh, and again, I don't want to go into any more details. Yeah, okay? that's, you don't need to. We get, uh, we get the... Because then you get a he said, she said kind of thing. But needless to say is that people who hate God are going to utilize this particular failure of someone who decided that God's rules and law weren't good enough or were too restrictive and decided to go their own way and set their own rules for themselves because they felt like they deserved to do so. Folks, what is the culture doing right now? What is the whole Antifa movement? What is the whole BLM movement? What is the whole, well, let's look on both sides. What's the whole Proud Boy movement? What's the whole white nationalist movement? Okay, both both sides have set themselves same up coin. as their own yeah. standard of law. Same, same coin, different sides. Same coin, different sides. That's right. And we, and we are shocked about this? We in the church, we who, who actually try to follow Christ, and let's just all be honest, there isn't a perfect one among us because there was only one perfect man on this earth and you saw what they did to him. And you've read what they've done to him. None of us are perfect. We're all, when we are justified by Christ, we are then put into the process of sanctification. And sanctified means that you're growing in grace, growing in righteousness, growing in holiness, but you're still growing. You're like a child who is maturing. But we don't reach full maturity until we're glorified. The scripture is very, very clear to point out to us that the only time that we become perfect is that when we are reunited with the Father and the Son in person, in the the heavenlies. Not here on earth. None of us are ever going to be perfect on earth. So there are no saints, Chuck. There are no living saints. I know the football team. They, you know, they might say, that. <laughs> but there are no, there are no living saints. And if, and if you're of the Catholic persuasion, I've got some news for you. There are no living saints. Uh, but the point is, is that we have to strive as believers in Christ to play by the rule book, God's rule book, not our own. Matthew 6 and 7, again, Christ basically looks at him, and you who are evil still know to give good gifts to your children. So in other words, it doesn't mean that everything you do, this is that whole idea that we Calvinists talk about, Chuck, about the tulip acrostic, where the T stands for the idea of total depravity, and before people start jumping down our throats, we're like, no, 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 we're not saying that you're as bad as you can possibly be, we're saying that you do not have any ability to be good. That's utter depravity. Utter depravity is the you're as bad as you're you can as bad be. As you can possibly be. You you took Hitler and put him on steroids. Well, okay, so that that's that's utter depravity. Here's what I tell people: Stalin loved his mother. Yes, he did. That's and right. Hitler did too. And Hitler sent bonbons to his to his uh, to his mistress. Yeah. So all that kind of thing goes on to say that what we're saying is is that without Christ, without the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, without our heart of stone becoming a heart of flesh, without being saved by God, 
we do not have anything in us that merits his love, his protection, his grace, his approval. You can't win your way to God. But the whole basis of every, not just theology, but every worldview that's outside the biblical worldview is on the basis that we can do things and take actions and say things and behave in certain ways that will lead to us being good. But that's not what the Bible says. No. That's not what Christ has actually said. So, when we see the riots, excuse me, peaceful protests with fire and, and glass breaking and everything else, I wonder, if, I wonder if now we have to go back and re- uh, um, define Kristallnacht as being a peaceful protest. Same type of thing. <laughs> yeah. Businesses destroyed, windows broken out, fire set everywhere, and people being vilified. And, well, now we're seeing in Portland innocent people being set upon and killed for no other reason than they're wearing the wrong type of clothing. They have the wrong uh, marking on. They have the wrong marking on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, look, it, that particular thing depends on your viewpoint. That's why we're taking a stance where if you go in to one of those things and you're... Uh, wearing a KKK cap and gown and you get beat up, well, you shouldn't get beat up, but guess what? You should have known what was coming. You really should have. And you brought up an interesting point about the church. I saw a posting on Facebook uh, that my daughter showed me. I, I meant to have her uh, send it to me and, and I forgot. But what this basically said, this was a person who supposedly had been through, you know, had uh, uh, churched all their lives and been through some theological training and that kind of thing that posted something that says Jesus uh, was killed by a combination of a law and order faction and uh, uh, religious zealots. So in other words, religion and law and order killed Christ. And the first thing I said to my daughter was, okay, let's go back and review the whole Passion uh, Week, the, the, the end there at the Passion Week during the trial and all that. Who manipulated uh, whom to get, uh, w what did Pontius Pilate want to do with Christ? He wanted to let him go. Yeah, he, he, he was wanted, basically, I want to wash my hands. I don't, I, I, I. I wash my hands. Of I this wash situation. my hands of this thing. His wife was warning him, "Don't do anything to this guy." I had this. I had this vision. I had the dream. vision. Don't do anything to this guy. But he also realized that the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, who were pushing him to do something and take Christ, would go above his head to his authority and complain that he somehow did something wrong, and he was kind of stuck. Well, Matter of fact, it goes beyond that. They, they did a political play on him. It, it goes beyond that. The Pharisees went to the mob. They right. A, they loaded the mob. Yes, they did. They got everybody there, got them in the front row, and when Pontius Pilate brought him out and said, what shall I do with this man, what did they say? Crucify him. Who said it? It was the same people who laid the palm fronds out the week before while Christ rode on, on the colt who had never been written before, and tried to proclaim him king, from which he he uh, shrunk. He did not want to be proclaimed the 
physical king. He did not want to ignite a, a political revolution. That's right. Because he knew that later on that uh, governments like the Romans would fall of their own weight. Right. Eventually. Eventually. But, so what did they do? They ginned up the crowd to scream for it. Pontius Pilate is looking. His job is to maintain order. order. That's right. His job is to maintain order in Palestine. And he's looking and he's like, okay, I'll do the... This is where... Uh, I'll give uh, you what you want in order to maintain peace. Pilate had a moral dilemma because he knew the guy was innocent and he tried to turn him loose. Yep. And But he also saw the mob and the mob was threatening to riot. Yes, yes, they were. So what do you do when you are you are entrusted with uh, keeping the peace in a place where it has been volatile the whole time Rome has been there and before? If you recall, Rome stepped in when there was was a civil war. You may, you may not know this. There was a civil war after the Greeks, uh, the, the Greek government there collapsed. Mm-hmm. And a neighboring empire... The Parthians came in to basically, uh, shall we say, bring things back under control. Right. Under the uh, uh, the king, the Maccabees, and uh, that's the area you're in, the, mm-hmm. the uh, Jewish revolt. And they took back over, and then there was infighting, and they corrupted the priesthood and, and all that stuff. Uh, the Romans stepped in because they wanted the Parthians out. A, that was their connection. That was their land bridge to Egypt. Uh, that whole section of what they call the Levant, uh, the Romans wanted to control that because that was their trade route. And the Parthians didn't want them to control it because they wa- they wanted to drive a w- wedge into the Roman Empire. So what's uh, Pontius Pilate going to do? Well... He said, okay, fine. I'll give in to the mob. LCD, lowest common denominator. Lowest common denominator. So it had nothing to do with law and order. Law and order would have said, this man, not only, uh, you're going to leave this man alone, uh, and you're going to give him protection as he makes his way through this mob. That would have been law and order. As far as the Sadducees being the, uh, Pharisees being the religious establishment, well, sort of. Um, they were not highly respected. They were they were um, basically looked down upon for doing what they did, which was lording it over. That was in the almost the entirety of Christ's uh, um, ministry. Yep, he constantly was at the throats of the of the Pharisees. Do you notice who he left alone in there? He left alone the Sadducees. Why was he a Sadducee? Of course not. Because who were the Sadducees? The Sadducees were essentially the liberals, the religious liberals of their day. They didn't really believe anything. They didn't believe in life after death. They didn't believe in the resurrection. Uh, they believed that uh, these books and things were great things to learn from, but that they really didn't have all that much religious significance. They were just learning for the sake of learning. Yeah, this is why Paul was able to, if you remember from the book of Acts, he, he got called in front of the Sanhedrin, and he threw out a bone about the resurrection in the middle of one of his talks, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees immediately were at, uh, they weren't at Paul's throat, they were at each other's throats. Why? Because it turned into a uh, religious conservative versus religious liberal uh, uh, debate. Also, it was a general assembly. Okay, a, that's right. It was a PCA general assembly. 
Uh, we don't have those yet at the OPC, but uh, I, I'm, I assume since so many of your guys are coming over, we'll have those soon. You probably will. <laughs> <laughs> since so many of you guys are going to leave after Tim Keller takes over, Tim Keller and, uh, and that group. Um, if you don't know what we mean, we're not explaining it now. Go, yeah. go do some research. Um, <clears throat> but that being said, uh, so the idea that somehow the uh, uh, law and order and religious fanatic group caused the death of uh, Christ, uh, the person said that this was a bad combination. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think it is. Uh, do we call for law and order? Of course we do. Why? Because Jesus calls for law and order. Right. Um, uh, Paul calls for law and order. Uh, Peter calls for law and order. All the uh, everybody who wrote a book in the in the uh, New and Old Testament called for law and order. There are numerous examples of when the crowd uh, think Chop, Chaz. Uh, Portland, uh, Chicago, San Francisco, Kenosha. Los Angeles, Kenosha. Uh, those are the kind of things that uh, God was not pleased when yep. riots broke out. Yes. Because a riot is essentially a complete loss of, it's a, it's a complete release of emotion and a complete loss of ra- uh, rational thought. And Christ, above all things, was rational. Yes, he actually was, um, and so, so much more so than everybody around him. That that's why he looked different. That's why everybody was drawn to him was because here's someone who has authority, but wasn't using it in a tyrannical way. Here's someone who understood that he had shared authority, and he honored the person he shared it with, which was God the Father. He Christ wasn't pushy. He wasn't beating people over the head. He didn't go out on a street corner with a sandwich board and scream about them going to hell. Or that the end was near. Or the end was near. What he did do was, he basically said, I, you know, he knew what the word was, which is something we're called to do too. Be ready in season and out of season, season to give yeah. a reason for the hope that's in you. And also to be a, a, a worker who rightly divides the word of truth. And be ready to give an answer. Didn't say, be ready to go tell somebody what they need to know. Ready to give an answer. That means you're being asked. Chuck, how's the only way you're going to be asked? It's one of two ways. Either you're wearing it like a, like on your sleeve on a t-shirt with a big neon logo saying, I'm a Christian, ask me how. Which I've seen some people do similar things. Or you're living your life for Christ. And you're setting an example that people are like, why, with all this chaos going on, why does this person have peace? Why are they not totally twisted up about all this? Why are they not anxious and worried and scared and, and frust, fussing and frightened about all these things that are going on around us? And then he started asking questions. What is it that's different about... You're getting the same news feeds, right? Yeah. Maybe you're watching. Maybe you're watching a, a different YouTube. Maybe you're watching a different news channel. It's pretty much the same thing on all of them. Why are you reacting differently? Because I don't make myself the be all and end all. I'm not the ultimate authority, and it's not my rules they're breaking. It's God's. And I know that they can try to break them, but all they're really doing is breaking themselves on them. Yeah. And when you get down to that. 
Yes. And will there be... Pro- yeah, Christ told us, you will be persecuted for my namesake. Get ready, folks. It's coming. Okay? It's actually already... It's been here for a while. It's just been soft persecution that we, we, we as the churches have accepted. I, I know you've been having discussions in your own faith circles as well as I have about what does persecution look like? Right. And at what point does the church actually ha- are, are supposed to respond? People criticized John MacArthur for responding when they made the issue that they weren't going to that the government wasn't going to allow them to have church, and he decided to have some civil disobedience. People criticized him for that because, well, they haven't stopped you from worshiping; you just can't do it on a Sunday morning inside your church. Yeah, you're right. Okay, fine. If I want to go that way, then I'll go out in the field out here. Well, they tell you you can't be out in the field because you can't have a gathering more than six people. Well, go online. Well, then your content provider blocks you because you're preaching hate because you preached out of, say, Romans 1. Um, <laughs> at what point do you say enough's enough? MacArthur drew the line at, you can't tell the church what to do, period. You can't close this down. So now they're going to pull his water and his power so they you know, can't do anything. Well, guess what? First century church met in caves, folks. They have power. No, somebody may have lit a torch if they actually had air holes to actually keep a torch from burning all the oxygen up in the room and killing everybody. They met in caves. Did they have running water? Probably not, unless the cave was near a stream. They met underneath the cities in the catacombs. Yeah, in the catacombs, which are which were burial places. But the acoustics were great, Chuck. So, man, you could sing to the high heavens if That's you wanted right. to. But the point is that they didn't let the inconveniences stop them from the worship of God. Now, you and I have had this discussion where the whole idea of Romans 13 kind of gets twisted on its ear sometimes by people who believe that if the church doesn't tell you to go and curse God to his face and reject him, then whatever the government tells you to do, you've got to follow it by Romans 13, i.e., you have to wear a mask in church, you can't be within six feet of each other, you can't sing, you, know, yeah. you, can't, you can't have communion, you can't do this in church because health rules. Well, let's back up a step. Okay. Because when you're there... You, you, what? This is why we have trouble in some cases. I'm not saying you caused the trouble, by the way. Uh, it's an easy. Oh come it, on! Let me call. Let me be the cause of the trouble. Well, you can call. You can help me cause trouble in another place. Okay, sure. And that is, <clears throat> I've actually had it said to me by someone in church government uh, who I'm close to, who said, "Well, the persecution isn't here yet, so so we're still okay." And I said, uh, "This was in in talking about." The whole masking thing and mandates and, you know, requirements for this and that and another thing. And I said, you don't seem to grasp that persecution does not come like a tidal wave. No, it's, 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 it's the frog in the kettle. Chuck. It's a frog in the kettle. It's the tide. Absolutely. At low tide. And all of a sudden, the next sweep if, of the if, ocean if, comes if, in if, that's if, a little if, higher. If you let the little kid... And I'm using this analogy, little kid's government. If you let government bury you up to your neck in the sand during low tide, you better hope that they buried you high enough up on the beach that you're above the high tide. That's right, because every sweep of the ocean, you know, waves come in, waves go out. Every sweep comes in a little higher. Yep. A little deeper. And a little higher. A little deeper. And a little deeper. Yeah. And a little higher. And a little higher. And and pretty soon, within a few hours, that beach that that was opened down 200 yards... Is, is now covered, underwater. <laughs> is covered right up to the to the place where the beach ends. Yeah, and uh, 
that's the way it happens. And I said, you don't grasp that this comes in little bitty pieces. And the fact is, when you begin to recognize that the little bitty pieces are beginning to accumulate, that is the time to act. That's that. That's when your radar, what you call your RAS, Chuck, your reticulated activating system. That's when you start noticing things that you normally would just have in the background and you wouldn't ever pay attention to, but because some trigger happened that you know, folks. It, it, easy way to describe this and to give you an analogy: You want to buy a new car. You've decided you want to buy a new silver car because you like silver. Go up. You looked in my driveway. I did. I did. <laughs> new silver car. New silver car. New silver car. That means before you actually make the purchase, if you go out running around, you are going to automatically register and notice consciously every silver vehicle you see. Because you've already put that piece in your head that that's important to you. That that bit of data has importance to you. You have weighed it with importance. Okay? When we start weighing with importance, the idea that persecution isn't a big title, isn't a big one-time dump truck full of stuff, it's little bits of the rocks coming off the cliff until the whole cliff comes down on you. You start paying attention when you see a little yeah. teeny rock come bouncing down the side of the cliff. It's it's half gallon ice cream buckets full of stuff. Yeah. Not right. dump truck loads. Not dump truck loads of it. But you've now weight put weight and importance on seeing that. And so then when you start seeing the little disparate I call it putting the puzzle pieces together, Chuck. That's that's how I reference it. When you start looking when you get a puzzle, and let's say you grab a puzzle and you open the body and you toss the puzzle out on the table you got pieces going all over the place right you got some up upside down in sideways some of them the backs are up you don't know right offhand which pieces are border pieces let's say it's even worse let's say it's a round puzzle you don't have a border piece really um or it's one of these fancy puzzles where they cut the edges out so that it's really really hard to do i've got a couple of those those are fun um but wouldn't you just if you ask, what what is that? No, it's a puzzle. No, but what is it? Oh, I don't know. But then you start looking at the pieces, and you start picking them up, and then let's say you do have a board, and you start sorting out all the pieces that have a straight edge. So you put all those to one side, because you figure those are the border. Those are the edge. Those yeah. are your edge pieces, your border pieces. Then you start looking at ones, and you realize that the picture over here has a big red ball. So you start pulling all the pieces that have red, or partly red on them, and you kind of put those in a pile. Or it has an animal on it. Let's say it has a you know, fuzzy brown koala bear. So you start looking for the pieces that look like pieces of fur. You know, that the, the image looks like it's fur. What are you doing? You are categorizing and sorting so that you can see the bigger picture. picture. It's called discernment. It's discernment. Yeah, that's right. But it's something you can train yourself to do. Yes. Now, I've often used that analogy, by the way. Yeah. This is like trying to build a 20,000-piece a puzzle, puzzle without the box. Without the box. That's right. Let's say you don't have access to the box. You have a 20,000-piece puzzle. And the only puzzles that are incredibly difficult like that are like the big 1,000-piece puzzles that it's a blank white thing, and it's all the pieces are very similar in shape. Well, even stuff like the Chicago skyline is, is tough. very it's tough. tough. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like doing puzzles. It's, it's tough. But the whole point is is that you may train yourself to figure out the puzzle. And then when you put the pieces together, 
then you can go show everybody else what the picture looks like. Right. Without the box. You don't have to have the box. The manufacturer doesn't have to be standing there. This is the picture this we use for this puzzle. Used, yeah. That's government. Okay, the manufacturer's government. They're the ones who are hiding the box from you, but they're throwing pieces on the table. You have to be discerning enough, clever enough, to figure out how to s- sort the pieces in your head, put them in the right places, compartmentalize them, then start putting the shapes together that fit, that create bit, little bit, little bit bigger, little bit bigger parts of the actual picture, mm. and then you put it all together, and then you f- see that you've got the borders, you know what your size is, you know what your picture looks like, you know which direction it's supposed to go, and you know what it's saying and doing. You actually have to add a dimension to that, because yes, it's the government throwing the pieces at you, but what, the, what they're doing is, there's a threat behind it that says, if you don't put this together in time and recognize what it is, right. you're going to the deepest dungeon we have, and you're losing everything that you have. It, well, exactly. Exactly. That's that's where the analogy really takes. We need to, to sort of jump forward now to where we were and talk about Romans 13. Absolutely do. We have people coming in and saying silly things like, well, I'm okay with the mandate on this because it doesn't really interfere with my ability to worship Christ. And the the correct answer to that posit, because it is a posit, it's a it's an argument. It is an argument. The correct uh, answer to that argument is yet. Well, absolutely. It's because the word that means a whole lot. Yeah. It hasn't happened yet. They haven't interfered yet. But all you have to do is look at California, look at New York, look at Michigan, look at places that have directly interfered with the right to come together uh, as a group and uh, worship Christ as a church, as uh, John MacArthur is finding out. John MacArthur's been on the wrong side of this question, by the way, for decades. And what really caused him to come out of it was the fact that he was being hoist by his own petard. Yep, he that's was, right. He had his arguments uh, in favor of uh, a certain interpretation of Romans 13, which mm-hmm. we're going to talk about here in a minute, I think, um, ha- have come back to bite him. And he's realizing it. Now, I- I'm going to be quite honest with you. I think once a lot of this mess is over, John MacArthur's going to be right back in the Radical Two Kingdom uh, camp. Yeah, I'm uh, sure. Well, I'm sure will be. uh, because old habits die hard, and a leopard is very difficult for a le- leopard to change its spots. Well, it the Bible says it's impossible mm-hmm. uh, without a camp paint. Uh, but nonetheless, right now he's in the right place. For which I give him for recognizing that I give him kudos. I don't know if you've, if you've heard that the county now is messing with him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's just the it's Los the, le- the, le- the levels of tyranny just get bigger. Yeah, I think it's Los Angeles County is basically uh, um, revoking his right to park, to have people park uh, by his church. So um, you know there is a way they can get you. Uh, we've talked about this at our church. And, uh, you know, it's uh, talking in terms of the gubernatorial mandate. And I said, what are they going to do to us? What license are they going to revoke? There isn't one. That's why the only reason that Mike DeWine has not made this mandatory 
is because churches aren't required to be licensed. That's right. Let me tell you something. One of the things that will come out of this is that places will require churches to have a license that can be revoked. Yep. Now, what was going on in the American Revolution? What was one of the complaints? It's not in the Declaration of Independence, but it was there. The king was attempting to make the colonists report uh, the their churches report to an English the a Church of England archbishop. Uh-huh. And they all said with a resounding uh screech, "No. That will not happen." And they attempted to enforce it and basically there was a danger of a Roman or of a uh uh, Anglican Archbishop being run out of town on a rail with tars and feathers. Mm-hmm. Tar right. and feathers. Uh, they they had seriously considered, and the uh, Archbishops thought better of it and said, I think we'll stay out of that, that parish. Um, because there was uh, one of the things that is the hallmark here was religious freedom, and one of the things that's not in England was religious freedom. Um, you always had to be under the, the English archbishop. Now, that being said, yes. uh, when someone comes into your church and says, well, I wear the mask because it doesn't really interfere with my, my right to, to worship God, uh, it, it's, on the, it's mm-hmm. on the cusp of it. Yep. Um, because they would like, love to find nothing better than to find a way and come in and fine us and, and padlock the doors because certain individuals have expressed, uh, who ha- have said... Uh, no, I'm not going to do that. I am scientifically savvy enough to say the masks are doing very little, if anything, and in fact are harmful to health, uh, right. worn, worn long term, uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, one of them being bacterial accumulation and another one being hypoxia. Um, but that being said, uh, there are numerous rights that are being violated with these mandates. Numerous. Uh, Fourth and Fifth Amendment rights, the right to be secure in their person's papers, housings, and effects from unlawful searches and seizures. You mm-hmm. say, well, it's not a search or a seizure. Ah, but it is. But it is. Yeah. It's a seizure of your other rights, with your Fifth Amendment, um, your self-incrimination, and your uh, right to essentially uh, be left alone, more or less. Um, so the idea that, that somehow... It's in obedience to Romans thirteen, uh, to be, even though it's a it's a tyrannical usurpation. I'll be the first one to say these governors have tyrannically usurped their authority, and they based it on the the basis of an emergency. How are how is freedom always lost? It's lost because we need to have these emergency powers. Yes, indeed. The fact is that the uh, um, the state legislature has essentially caved in and given the governor the power to do things that they themselves do not possess. Now, Doug Wilson had a very interesting uh, piece. You can find it on um, on YouTube. I'll see if I can dig it up and put it in the links. Um, which he spoke of the fact that, and I would agree with this, if this was Ebola, mm-hmm. could the governor mandate the shutting down of churches? If this was a serious Ebola vac- uh, outbreak, could the governor uh, shut down churches in all places where people would gather? And the answer is, I think yes. Why? 
because there's no way to protect anybody from anybody else. If you go out in public and you have the symptoms of Ebola, you are assaulting all the people who are there uh, who are healthy. You, You are actually committing an assault. The difference here is that a tiny percentage of people have had this virus. And an even tinier percentage of those have died as a result. Yep. The vast majority of people who have been exposed to this have felt no symptoms or minimal symptoms. Running nose, sore throat, a minor cough. Mm-hmm. Yep. Some of the some of us have had deeper coughs. Um, you know, felt crummy for a few days. Right. Some have had extended periods of fevers and nothing else. Yep. So what does that mean? That means those people are all immune. Yeah, it does. It does. And it also means that a whole bunch of people, like especially young people, have herd immunity already. Why? They've been exposed to other COVIDs. Most likely. Now, I think it's funny, Chuck, because you say that because, you know, just recently uh, the focus has been on South Dakota and Christy Noem, who's the governor of South Dakota. Yeah. They didn't lock their state down. They didn't right. close down businesses. They didn't shut down schools. And they didn't close down churches. And they had one of the country's lowest rates of corona infections all through the year until last month when the Sturgis motorcycle right. rally happened. Right. Now, supposedly, health experts are basically trying, saying that they've linked 20% of the entire country's cases of COVID in the last month to that one rally. That's absurd. It's complete. 260,000 cases from a from a single motorcycle rally in the middle of nowhere, South Dakota. The last number I saw was they had confirmed about 60 cases out of there. Thank you. Exactly. Oh, but because of our models, Chuck, we can extrapolate that those 60 infected six others who infected six others now, who infected six others. Out of that. And pretty soon, look. We've got more possible tertiary and, you know, 10 times away infections than we actually had actual live infections. And guess how many hospitalizations? Uh, probably one or one two. two. Yeah, one exactly. Because it's, so, it's just not happening the way they're... The fact they're, is, they're, this you know, virus is, is not as deadly as they, they're, they're saying. Before we get done, I want to bring up two things. Number one, this week, Chuck, we've got two dates coming up. Yes. First, first one Thank is, you for First one is up. this Friday... Which is the 19th anniversary of September 11th. Yes. When the planes flew in to the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and other places. 19 years, folks. But that was the start of a crisis mindset. We've been 19 years in a crisis mindset that governments have been utilizing to get us to give away our freedoms. Think about that. Next week, September the 17th, Constitution Day the day that we celebrate the signing of the document that secures those freedoms for us. So what's going to happen in the, in, in the midst of that, Chuck? Antifa is planning a sit-in at the White House for September 17th, but a number of patriot groups are out there basically saying September 15th, two days before Constitution Day, is the day that everybody says no and takes their masks off and says, not going to do it anymore. That's building. If you go to social media, it's building. September fifteenth is going is is going to be zero hour day for people who have decided it's time to wake up. Now, the second thing I want to do, Chuck, real quick, I want to read this. This is a post that just came out. Okay. Okay. 
Three-time Olympic volleyball gold medalist Carrie Walsh Jennings is facing a wave of criticism after she said she went to the grocery store without a mask. Here's what she posted on her Instagram. Quote, here we go. I had a little exercise in being brave yesterday. And I just turned up. Okay, there we go. And I'm still a bit edgy about it. I went shopping without a mask on with a bunch of emojis. And this is why. I read a quote the other day that shook me. And here's the quote. This has not been enforced. It's been consented to. Oh, wow. Yes. Yes. She said, and she goes on, this statement woke me up, and the truth of it has had me obsessing on the matter of how I can mindfully and compassionately stand up for my rights and for the freedoms our Constitution has granted us all without being reckless or putting anyone else in danger. We are all endlessly complaining about the restrictive and arbitrarily selective rules that we are being strongly, quote-unquote, suggested to follow, and yet we are all consenting. Not much of a fight, just a lot of complaining, and strongly disagreeing with this manipulation, but we keep consenting. It's maddening. It has crumbled our society, people's livelihoods, our children's spirits, and the fabric of our world. We've become a country and a world estranged from each other, and it is more deeply unhealthy than any virus could ever be. September 15th is unmasking day, Chuck. September the 17th is Constitution Day when we celebrate the document that secures our God-given inalienable rights. And if you have a biblical worldview, you need to make sure you understand that those rights are given to us by God because he sets the rules, not government. That's right. And also September 17th marks the beginning of the quote-unquote 50-day siege on the White House before the election (coughs) set by uh, uh, some a couple of different Marxist groups, uh, among them uh, um, BLM and, and, and Antifa, uh, Antifa and yeah. those guys. I, and I, the first thing I said to Barry was, what's significant about September 17th? And the first thing he came back with was? It was the uh, day that the Jacobites took over Edinburgh, Scotland, and for Bonnie Prince Charlie against the, against the Protestants. I'm like, no, no, wait a minute. No, not it that was, one. It was the signing of the Constitution. It's the signing of the Constitution. <laughs> Remember, Marxists are very heavily into dates. Yes, they are. Uh, and that's a very significant date for them because they want to destroy the Constitution or at least rebuild it to the place that, that makes it their own. Um, one thing I want, to, I want to remind you of as we get ready to sign off uh, there are some archives of some articles that Barry and I and other people have written on our website. If you look uh, to the right of our website at www.principledpolicy.com, you will find copies uh, of thing called pages. If you look down journal archives, I would suggest you go to In the Gates, Volume 2, The Basis of Law, Very and good. look up an article that I wrote there. Yep called Problems with Romans 13, in mm-hmm. which this this is 10 years old, um, at least 10 years old. I've written it long before that and updated it. At that probably needs an update now. But, uh, again, it's called Problems with Romans 13 at, under uh, the Journal Archives in the Gates, Volume 2, The Basis of Law. I would suggest you read that. Next time somebody says, well, I'm just following Romans 13, 
you it may give you some ammunition there's a several other great articles in there about the basis of law and where law comes from yes. we may need to revive this a little bit and get some of these out again it even uh, has a nice little handy chart that you can go to which basically breaks down all the principles of uh of the bible and which documents of our founding that they appear they in appear or that in. they're yeah. referenced by so it's a it's a great it's a great uh, just go look at it it's it's all there uh, www.principledpolicy.com you know what we think we want to know what you think again principledpolicy.com and join us again next week for another principles and policies <laughs>